Welcome back to the Invert Whistle Podcast, Season 3. This is Episode 2. And I'd like to, first of all, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Well, thanks, Mr. Schneider. Glad somebody knows uh, what time of year it is. Um, Actually, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, We're coming to you live from the Vienna Inn, uh, who in this year of 2020 will be celebrating its 60th year in business. So again, thanks to Marty for letting us do the podcast from here to Vienna Inn. Yeah, and Adam, you know, they're a great host. They're allowing us to do this podcast straight from here. And, and if you haven't been here, there's some great uh, great items on the menu. It's a great place to come by and just uh, enjoy yourselves, uh, especially over the holiday season. So speaking of holidays, we just got done with the holiday tournaments, and we're kind of transitioning now into district play. And this is a, an important time of year, especially for some of these uh, teams that are trying to identify where they sit within their district. You know, we have new teams uh, that have – Graduated some players that have uh, kind of stepped up and some surprise teams that happen in every district. So, uh, Adam, why don't you give us some thoughts on just the district play and how it starts? Well, it typically starts with a jump ball. Um, so, you know, the, the interesting thing about district play for high school basketball and pretty much conference play in college basketball, at the high school level we have about five weeks of the regular season left. <clears throat> Excuse me, in college basketball we have about two months. But the thing about district play in high school is, and what we just saw in some of the holiday tournaments, some of these teams are really just getting their uh, feet on the ground, having gotten their football players um, back from playoffs and worked into practice and worked into rotation. So you're going to actually see some differences in teams if you saw them in early December versus now seeing them in early to mid-January. And, uh, you know, this is where, obviously, the rivalries come into play. And in many cases, some of these rivalry games, you can throw out what the records are because it really doesn't matter uh, because they're going to get after it. So I think this is a time where, as referees, kind of coming out of the holiday season where some of us have taken some time off and you get into a game on a Friday night like tonight and your concentration and preparedness better be at their highest levels because – these guys have been practicing. They haven't played a game probably since a week ago, and they're ready to roll. And so I think it's just a matter of keeping our intensity up because their intensity is going to be up. We just have to match the level of the game. Yeah, Adam, that's that's a good point. I think the other thing that I would like to just mention is that a lot of these kids that work that are playing in these districts, they know each other year in, year out. They're either playing on the same AAU teams or they're playing against each other year in and year out. So the familiarity is there. Uh, so you're going to have a little bit more on the line with these games, and so it's going to take our attention span and our ability to be patient with some of them uh, a little bit more than it would be during the, the beginning of the season when teams are fresh and they're just starting out. So, um, But, you know, to all the teams that are out there getting ready to start district play, we wish you the best. And for our officials, let's just make sure we're on top of our games. We're coming back from a, a little bit of a break here, so we want to make sure that we're uh, you know ready to referee right away as well. So... Um, I, I wanted to mention this before we got too far down the line is uh, recently uh, David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, has passed away. I know this is more of a high school type of podcast, but I want to say that David Stern did so much for basketball and really supported the officials in the NBA over a long time. He really grew the game, not only internationally, but just made sure that, you know, it seemed like every move that he made was uh, was fantastic. So I want to remember him during this time as well. 
So, uh, you know, another thing that happened recently here in uh, Northern Virginia is uh, one of the legends in coaching stepped down, and we want to make sure we recognize Jim Smith. Jim Smith was the head coach at Chantilly for 28 years, officiated, uh, or sorry, coached for almost 32 years overall. Uh, and uh, it, it was he's really been a stalwart here in this area, and thought it would be good to maybe share a couple of stories. So, Adam, I'll, I'll start. Um with a story here. A few years back, I decided that it'd be a good idea to play a joke on uh, one of our officials, Ron Jackson. And I had the public address announcer in between the first and second quarter. I made sure he knew that it was Ron's 2005 or 2000th game that he'd ever officiated. And uh, without missing a beat, the announcer gets on there and says, ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the official holding the ball at center court. Mr. Ron Jackson's working his 2000th game tonight. And uh, the class guy that Jim is, he gets out of the huddle and he points over to Ron. He's giving him a, a, a ovation. Congratulations, Ron. This is great. The other coach is doing the same thing. And, and Ron's over there uh, just uh, really upset that I did this. But, you know, at that point, I didn't really care. We were just having fun. And uh, the next quarter, we had a play. There was a travel on Jim Smith's team right in front of his bench. And uh, Jim looked at me and goes, he better not come back here for his 3,000th game without missing a beat. And uh, just goes to show you that uh, these guys, uh, they do pay attention and they're, and they're great guys. And uh, anyway, that was a fun night. Uh, so, Adam, go ahead and, and share your story. This goes back to when I was a much younger official, uh, both younger looking and um, younger, greener in terms of handling coaches. Um, and and that's a, one of the things I want to mention about Coach Smith was, is that his love for the game is unmatched by about anybody else that I've met. And he doesn't know that he, the way he coached and the way he dealt with officials, he actually taught us things during games. And so this goes back to actually a district uh, championship game when they were playing South Lakes. And I was on the game with two very veteran officials. Um, and we're in double overtime. And something happens, and I don't even remember whether it was a call or a no call, but I was standing right over in front of Coach Smith, and he was getting a little excited, which he, it's not his uh, nature to do that, particularly with referees. Um, and I just turned to him and I said, Coach, relax. And you would have thought I called him an MF because he started yelling at me, relax, you relax. This is double overtime in the district final. And so what I realized was that, well, number one, I had to get out of there because I caused the problem. And so I moved to the other side of the court so I didn't have to give him a technical foul. But the thing that it taught me was you have to really be care careful of the words that you choose. Who would have thought, at least back then, I would have thought that a word like relax would set a coach off. But it did. I didn't think about circumstance, the, the you know, the intensity of the game, the importance of the game, you know, district final for high school teams is pretty important. Um, so, you know, I, I, I give Coach Smith a lot of credit for not only all the work he's done with his teams over the years and all the coaches he's mentored, uh, but in all honesty, the, he's helped me become a better a better referee. Um, I mean, and you'd say that shouldn't have been hard to do because the floor was so low. Um, but he, but he did help me along the way, and I really do appreciate that, and I wish him the best in retirement. Scott, we got the, we're gonna open up the mail bag right now, and, and we have uh, actually one of our members here in the live studio audience, Danny Leonard from Falls Church, wants to know what our basketball officiating New Year's resolutions are. 
Um, and so, you know, I'm going to start first and I'm going to do my best to work on my mechanics um, and improve those. And hopefully my car will run better as I improve my mechanics. I'm sure uh, you got Mike Preston excited, our rules interpreter, and then you talked about your car. So that's the best interpreter in Northern Virginia. That's right. He is the best interpreter in Northern Virginia. So, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, for my resolution, I just want to be able to stay on the court. I've been injured the last couple of years. So uh, trying to be smarter about, uh, you know, making sure I can stay on the court and uh, avoid injuries. So, oh, dear. I'm sure there are coaches that are really interested in that New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah. Some are very happy I haven't been working, but that's okay. Um, the next, uh, next letter we have is from Scott Grove in Connecticut. And Scott's a regular listener, so we thank you for that, Scott. But Scott asks, uh, his association does not use video to provide their officials games. So they have to go out and ask for a video. Uh, and he knows that, that we use huddle here in, uh, in our association wants to know if there are any recommendations or, you know, for the benefits of using video. So I'll just say that if you have the chance to, to watch yourself on tape, it's the, one of the greatest teaching mechanisms that you can have. It takes out, um, any gray area. You can watch the plays and you can tell whether or not you miss one or not. Adam and I constantly send each other plays, uh, from games that we've done or we've seen and just different plays and it just makes us better it helps train our eyes to be better make sure that we're not uh, you know guessing on plays and unfortunately I think that you know for those that aren't using video they stay at a, a certain level uh, of officiating whereas if you're using video to get yourself better and not just try to you know affirm that your calls are correct you'll you'll notice that there's a, a growth in that official's uh, ability to officiate so Adam I don't know what you think about video no, I just think uh, you kind of hit it there. One of the things you have to be is honest with yourself. If you're not willing to be self-reflective um, on what you're doing out on the court, and obviously watching video of yourself uh, forces you to do that, but you have to be honest and say, you know what, that's probably not the best call that I made there. And then to, but to go further and to say why. Did you anticipate it? Were you not in a good position to call it? Um, was it, what's the thing you use against Scott? Was it uh, um, cataloging plays? I call it consistency. Um, you know, was it consistent with what the game, had, what's been going on in the game up to that point? Um, maybe it is a hand check, but call the hand check in the four minutes to go in the fourth quarter when it's the first hand check of the game. Again, you got to be honest with yourself. Um, I've always said that uh, officiating is not a reactionary game. It's a thinking person's game. And so uh, using your brain, thinking about what you're calling, why you're calling it, when you're calling it are important things. And I think the use of video helps you break that down and analyze it. So I, I, I encourage it. Um, I, I, I will watch games when they're available. And I also think it's good to uh, take out plays and, and show that, share them with others to say, what do you think about this? What would you have done differently? Because you're going to get good answers from other people with different perspectives. Well said, Adam. And uh, there's really nothing else to add to that. So I'll just jump to the next question. This actually comes from all the way from Australia. And, uh, you know, first of all, I want to say to everyone out there in Australia that's listening to us, I can't believe we actually have people listening to us. But, you know, first of all, I hope that uh, you're safe and that your families are safe with the, the ravaged fires that are going on in your country. Um but this comes from Steve Gilbert in Australia. I don't know where he is in Australia, but he says, uh, Gentlemen, I'd like to know if your uh, association has a dress code and how do you implement it? 
cheers. So, uh, Steve, first of all, thanks for the note. Glad that you're listening in Australia. Um, Adam, I'll let you have first stabs at this one. As far as I can remember, um, as long back as I can remember, our association has always had a dress code, wear a professional business attire to and from games. Um, and that goes back to the old saying, you only get one chance to make a first impression. If you walk into a gym and you look like Joe Bag of Donuts, you're going to get treated like Joe Bag of Donuts. Um, and we're fortunate to be in an area where there's, um, you know, we do have a lot of military personnel, so many of them will show up in their uniforms, which is perfectly fine. Uh, you know, we're, for the most part, sport coats, not necessarily ties. Um, and we do encourage uh, people to change once they're leaving the game as well. Um, I know that in many places, um, shower facilities aren't the greatest at high schools. Um, you might not want to wash your dog in some of the showers that were provided, so at least change back into your in your attire. I think that sets a, a level of professionalism uh, with our association and our clients. And let's not forget that the schools are our clients, um, and they do have choices. Um, that level of professionalism um, sets the tone for what we're going to do on the basketball court. So I do think it's important to have that dress code for scholastic games. Um, obviously, for recreation, uh, that's not going to be the same. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that's a very important piece to that. And if, uh, I'll take an extra minute and add in, because if, if our commissioner was here, the one thing he would add into that is not only dress professionally, but God dang it, keep your availability up to date. Uh, make sure your closeouts are accurate so that when he assigns us games, we don't have to turn him back because we decide to tell him, oh, by the way, it's my wife's birthday, so I can't work for you that night. Uh, so I, I shout that out for Doug. Yeah, well said, Adam. I think the uh, the other thing about the dress code is a lot of the DSAs or athletic directors, when we walk in, you know, they expect a certain type of professionalism uh, or level of professionalism from the officials that are coming in to do their game. And, and we're easy to spot if we're, you know, dressed nicely, professionally, you know, tie and jacket or at least, you know, uh, a, a sports coat on with a, a sweater uh, and, you know, obviously with our bag. So, Let's, let's kind of keep those things in mind as we uh, go through this season and, and definitely keep your calendars up to date because uh, I'm sure that the commissioners out there, uh, ours included, uh, really would appreciate that. So our, our last uh, mailbag question today, and by the way, the, the mailbag's been sponsored again by the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp, and you can visit the website at sgboc.com. It's uh, one of the best teaching camps on the East Coast, so if you're out there and you're interested in coming to a great teaching camp, especially if you want to learn three-person, I can't recommend it highly enough. So I would say this. Um, this question comes from Nova Hoops Cast, guys. This is from Brian Doyle and uh, Kevin Weirin. Now, they, they do their podcast on YouTube because they have faces for it. Adam and I have faces for radio, so we're stuck on a podcast. But uh, they did a, uh, a wish list, if you will, for the end of the year. And their question was, you know, what would you want to have changed in the game of basketball? And Brian brought up that he'd like to have the arc and uh, implemented into high school basketball. So, um, and said that he thought that we would agree. So Adam, what are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is Scott, you're nuts because Doyle does not have the face for YouTube. He has the face for radio. So other than that, um, what I would say is I like the concept of the arc. Um, I'm not a fan of kids taking charges underneath the basket. I think that rewards 
what I would consider to be not good defense. You're not in a good rebounding position. You're not playing any defense. You're just simply trying to draw a charge. Um, and actually, uh, years and years ago, I was on the NCAA Rules Committee when we first put in the beginnings of the arc. Um, when, we, when we created this imaginary spot underneath the basket before we even put anything on the court. Um, so I, I'm a fan of it. I do think it would be challenging uh, from an officiating standpoint, um, particularly for those that still referee in, in two-man crews. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure I'm a particular fan of it just yet uh, in, in high school ball. I like the concept, but I think the implementation of it would be challenging. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th I think we would have a hard time as officials getting this right. Um, you know, we have, we struggle with other things already. So <clears throat> to add another gray area when it comes to decision making, uh, you know, where it's a, a referee's uh, decision and, and, you know, their judgment, <clears throat> I think just adds a little bit more uh, gray area to the game. So I would say I, I'm not in favor of it. I'm, it's not that it's not a, a great idea. I just don't, I'm not in favor of it for the high school game right now and I think that uh, you know being able to teach kids how to properly uh, play defense is probably more important uh, from a coaching standpoint than for officials to have to decide whether or not they were in or out of the arc and where they were moving uh, forward to try to get that contact done so but it, it brings up a, a, an interesting question because you know they brought up their you know if you had a wish list what would you want to add to the game and so for the high school game I think I, I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon with you know many coaches this is just my personal opinions. It doesn't uh, match the association that I belong to or, or anything else. This is just my personal opinion is that I, I would like to see the shot clock. I think the shot clock is, is past due <clears throat> in the high school game. There are a lot of, uh, obviously, a lot of the private schools in some of the states that, that are already working this uh, already have the shot clock in place. Um, we work a few schools that have the shot clock. I think the game just goes smoother. It allows for the better flow to the game. I'm not so sure about player development. That's for somebody else's argument, not mine. But I really think that there's a, a great opportunity to improve the game. And if you're going to spend money on something in the game, I think it would be better for the shot clock than it would be the arc. The, the challenge with the shot clock and what a lot of people don't understand is it's, it's not just the equipment and buying the equipment. It's you know The equipment's a one-time purchase, but... You've got to have somebody operate the clock. And, you know, right now schools are using uh, associations, uh, non-varsity officials to stay after their JV game to work the, the regular game clock. So if they're having a hard time getting somebody to work the main clock, how are they going to get somebody to work the shot clock? Um, so those are a couple of things. There's an associated cost that comes with that. You know, if you're paying somebody $30, $40 a game to run the game clock, and, you're, you know, you also have to do that for the shot clock as well. Um you know, finding volunteers uh, may not be as difficult in some places than others, but overall, I'd, I'd just be concerned about that. But that would be the one thing that I want to see implemented is the shot clock, because I just I think it makes the game better. So, um, Adam, you have any thoughts on that before you get to your topic? No, I agree with you on the on your uh, points on the shot clock. Um, I know this is going to also come as a surprise to to Mike Preston, uh, maybe making any suggestions about rule changes, because that would presume that I actually know the rules. Um, but one thing I'd like to see change deals with stuff above the basket in high school. And one of those would be, let's eliminate the slapping of the backboard as a technical foul. 
the defensive player slaps the backboard and the offensive player shot misses. Let's just call it basket interference, score the goal, and move on. And the second thing would be let's just adopt um, pretty much the NCAA rule where if the ball's above the ring and it touches the backboard, you can't touch the ball again. Uh, let's forget about whether it's on a downward flight. Too hard to tell. Once the ball touches the backboard, leave it alone. Um, so those would be the things that I would I would like to see. I, I think the high school game is in a good place, um, and so I don't, I don't think it needs much much changes, which means the rules committee will probably go make a whole bunch of changes next year. Yeah, and I and I'd, I would say that it's it's a challenge. Each year the rules come out. <clears throat> there seems to be more and more stuff about the uniforms and basketball related things. <clears throat> Uh, a couple of years ago, Gil Mack and I wrote into the rules committee to have the coaching box changed from the 14-foot coaching box to the 28-foot coaching box because we felt that it, it would benefit the teams and the coaches more. And I think it has. So there are some rules that officials actually really push for as well. So the I, I've put in for the rule change on the, the slapping the backboard for the last two years, and it's uh, made it to the final list, but it never got to the, uh, the voting stage. Um they're more concerned about shorts and you know patches and logos and other things with uniforms so it makes it uh i'd like to see us get more into the basketball side of things than anything else patches we don't need no stinking patches that's right we don't need no stinking patches so um i think the last thing i would say on the rule changes as well is just you know i think we're in a pretty good place but I, i would like to see us be a little bit more uniform a high school game with the slapping of the backboard and the ball hitting the backboard like Adam had suggested, you know, at the college and at the professional levels, those are those are in uniform. The only one that's not in line with that is, is us at the National Federation level. So I'd like to see us get a little bit more in line with that. Um, but, uh, you know, adding the shot clock and, and adding those two things with the backboard above the rim play uh, would really be a benefit to the high school game, in, in my opinion. So... Uh, but with that, I want to say uh, thanks again to our in-studio audience, especially Danny Leonard with his question today from Falls Church, Virginia. Uh, I want to thank uh, Marty here at the VNN for having us, and I want to make sure that everybody knows that, uh, again, if you're looking for a camp this summer, our sponsor is Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp. You can visit SGBOC. We'd love to have you out for the summer. It's a great camp. It's a great environment. It's a lot of teaching, some, some really good uh, people that are out there. And, uh, you know, with that, we're going to uh, finish the beginning, sh- the, the first show of this year. And so with that, Adam, as always, you have the last word. Once again, Happy New Year. And may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day. Crashing, hit a wall.